Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So what we're going to do today is we're going to jump into a familiar passage, particularly for us here at uh, Verdun, a passage that we explored a couple of years ago, but I believe God has, you know how you can look at one passage from a thousand different angles. And we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 20 and explore something of the life of David as we begin this season of leaning in with a series, a short series we're calling First Love as we lean in to, to Jesus and to just time with Him. And so if you have your Bibles, would you do me a favour and would you go to 1 Samuel chapter 20 and I'm gonna read from verse 18 through to 23. Then Jonathan said to David, "'Tomorrow is the new moon feast.'" You will be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow, toward evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began and wait by the stone Azel. Everyone say Azel. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, go find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you, bring them here. Then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe, there is no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go, because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I discussed, we'll talk about that in a minute, remember, the Lord is witness between you and me forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you that your word is the two-edged sword. We thank you that your word is what brings us life, that it is our daily bread, as Nick prayed beautifully before. It is our daily bread. Lord, we pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, and speak, that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive all that it is that you have for us, both individually and as a church community in this season, that as we we would lean into you, that we would listen and that we would uh, have our life shaped in the waiting, have our life shaped by your presence, by your spirit, that you would be enthroned upon our hearts, have mastery over our lives and use us for your, your name's sake and your kingdom's calling, we ask. In the precious name of Jesus and all God's children said, Amen. <clears throat> uh, Wednesday night, I'd finished a basketball game. The mighty uh, over 35 Zodiac Ruse just finished top of the table heading into finals. So we were having a bit of a debrief in the car park after. And as we were chatting, we got into, a, uh, Tim and I got into a bit of a deep and meaningful, which was fairly common and lovely. And uh, we're chatting away. And in that moment, my daughter Mabel, who uh, is 10 years old, ran up to me and stood before me and she said, Daddy, what is prayer? (laughs) I was like, what a question. (laughs) But I was in the middle of a deep and meaningful. So I turned to her and I, I just said, prayer is talking to God. And then she said, oh, come on, Dad. 
I'm not lying, I'm not making, she goes, come on, Dad, you're a pastor. Don't you have something more profound for me? Oh, I loved it. I was like, oh, well, Mabel, I didn't realise that, you know, we were, you wanting a theological explanation and, and expounding of the nature of prayer in this moment in the car park. But it was just one of those funny little moments that, that stood with, stood, uh, stayed with me over the course of that night as I was thinking even about today and thinking about the season that we've been in as a church because this idea of what is prayer? It's actually a profound question, isn't it? What is prayer? What, it, what does it mean to pray? What does it mean to lean in to Jesus, to lean into God? Brother Lawrence, who's a, he was a French monk in the 17th century, once said, prayer is paying attention. Saint Therese of, I'm gonna say this wrong because I'm not French, of Luzot, said this, prayer is a surge of the heart. It is a simple look turned toward heaven. It is a cry of recognition and of love, embracing both trial and joy. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, Saint John of Damascene said, prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God or the requesting of good things from God. And Papa Bill Johnson once said, being alone with God is a reminder of priorities. Prayer forces busyness to find its victims elsewhere. I'm gonna say that again, because I just saw faces go, ooh. Being alone with God is a reminder of priorities. Prayer forces busyness to find its victims elsewhere. Here's my definition of prayer. True prayer is the overflow of humility and the practice of patience. It's the physical demonstration of the inner revelation that I am not God. Prayer is the physical demonstration of the inner revelation that I am not God. Prayer is waiting on God. Prayer is waiting on God. And so as a church, for this next month, as we look at first love, we're gonna have a whole series, whether we know it or not, calling us to prayer, calling us to the priority of prayer, of reminding ourselves that we are not God, that yet there's a whole lot of things out there that need to be done. There's a lot of uh, strategic planning to do. There's a lot of visioning to do. There's a lot of boxes to tick. But ultimately, the one who is gonna lead us and guide us and be the one who gives direction and solves our problems is not gonna be us and our wisdom. Amen? It's actually gonna come from a revelation of Holy Spirit. God is the one who leads this church. God is the head of His church. He's the one, the, the source of all wisdom. He is the source of all authority. He is the supplier of all of our needs. And we need to lean into Him and say, Lord, show us the way. And this is why I feel to draw us back to this beautiful story that we find in 1 Samuel of the life of David. 
Because the context of what we read just before is a fascinating context. Those of you who were with us when we looked at the life of David just a, a couple of years ago, the context here is that David has been anointed as about an eight-year-old boy to be king, anointed by Samuel to be king. And from that moment on, in David's life, everything goes pretty well. If you're anointed as king to be a boy, you have this incredible moment where the prophet comes. He's like, you're gonna be somebody significant. You're gonna be king. And then what starts happening for you is you take some, uh, take some supplies to a battle and there happens to be a giant there and you're like, actually, I think we got this guy. And so you go out in a battle and you... <laughs> down goes the giant. The whole nation now knows your name. People are singing of, of David. David has slain, uh, Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. Like David's fame is growing in an incredible way. In modern day times, he's got a deal with Nike. He's got a signature shoe. His face is on the Wheat Bix box. Like things are going really well for David. And it's a trajectory that I think he's probably expecting because he's been anointed to be king. You with me? And then he becomes a general in the army and every battle he leads, he has success. And so his fame grows and grows and grows and things are going really, really well. And then Saul becomes a little bit anxious and a bit stressed and this moment happens where Saul sends soldiers to kill David and Michal, David's wife, lets him out through a window to save his life. So David's gone from being the, the anointed king who has everything going right to now running for his life, having no idea what just happened. Why is this going on? And as he's running out there, the first place he runs to is a place called Ramah, where he goes to Samuel, the prophet, to get a word to say, Samuel, what the heck is going on? And then from Samuel, he runs to Jonathan, the passage we find in 1 Samuel 20. And as he comes to Jonathan, he says, Jonathan, your dad's trying to kill me. And Jonathan's like, heck no, I would know what's going on, man. Like, that's my dad. He's not against you. He's for you. It's all good. Chill out. And David's like, no, man, he's trying to kill me. I'm promising you. And so they hatch a little plan. David's like, you need to figure out what's going on. Jonathan says, all right, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna wait in this field by the stone azel. I'm gonna go and talk to dad. I'm gonna say that you're not gonna be at a particular feast. And if he gets grumpy, then I know that what you're saying about him is true. If he doesn't get grumpy, you're good. And I'll send a message and you can come back. And so as the story unfolds, what happens is Jonathan goes to this feast and David's not there. Saul gets grumpy, hurls all sorts of insults and abuse at Jonathan about what's going on, like Jonathan's motives and intentions and basically saying, he's gonna get the throne and you're gonna miss out. So Jonathan's like, all right, I know what's going on. And then he comes back to David and he's like, it's time to go. But there's some incredible wisdom for us to be found right here in this moment because the place 
that Jonathan says to David, tells David to wait, is by a stone called a zell. Now a zell means the way. So the stone Azel is the stone that shows the way. Isn't that fascinating? How many of you are just sitting there right now with a little bit of a little prick up on the arm thinking, oh, that'll preach, David. Because <laughs> how many of you know that there is another stone that shows the way? The stone the builders rejected that has become the capstone, amen? Amen the cornerstone, the rock on which we stand. Jesus Christ, the stone the builders rejected, has become the capstone. This stone, Azel, is a prophetic picture of the coming Messiah, the one who shows the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. He is the way. And so Jonathan says to David, hey, when you're stressed, when you're confused, when you're confounded, when you don't know what's going on in life, when you thought you had a word, when you thought you had a picture, when you thought you had clarity of what God was doing, and then you wake up and everything's like, what's going on in life? There's one place you should go. And that place is by the stone Azel. Learn to wait on the Lord. Learn to wait on God. Learn to wait right there. Learn to lean in to Christ. Learn to pray. Learn in our, to, to let go of our pride and to say, show me the way. And the fascinating thing about this, friends, just do me one favour. Put yourself right now in David's shoes. Just put yourself in his shoes. He's being hunted like an animal. And he comes to the son of the guy who's hunting him and the son says, just wait there. And if you read the scripture, he has to wait for 48 hours. I struggle to wait 35 minutes for a pizza, anybody? Come on, someone at Allgate. <laughs> Let's be real. How many of you love waiting? Not a single hand, Brian. <laughs> I don't think innately we do patience very well. There was one time when I was young, I was praying for patience. We were on a camping trip as a family at the Flinders Ranges and I was listening to the SANFL Grand Final in my dad's car. Port Adelaide, I think, was playing back then. Before there was the power. That's how old I am. And I remember uh, listening to this, but I had the click on the key, one too many. And so the next day came and it was time for everyone to go and we had a flat battery. And we had to wait like six hours for help to arrive to get the battery going so we could get out of there. And I remember Dad wasn't angry with me. Like it was this beautiful moment of, he goes, David, he goes, we're in the Flinders Ranges, just relax. Like, just be patient. It's like, I've been praying for patience, Dad. He goes, never pray for patience. (laughs) If you pray for patience, stuff like this happens. (laughs) We don't like to wait. 
David is waiting, but he's not just waiting for someone to come and fix his car. He's literally waiting, fearing for his very life, having no idea what Jonathan's gonna do. And Jonathan's word to him is, wait by the stone Azel. Just wait there. If ever there was a time right now where Jonathan is gonna betray David, if ever there is a moment where the enemy's gonna get in Jonathan's ear and be like, the kingdom should be yours, you know exactly where he is, This is your moment. David is so, so vulnerable. He knows that fact. You with me? He knows that Jonathan could turn on him. He's nervous as all heck. He's stressed out of his mind. But Jonathan says, wait by the stone as hell. And let let me remind you about that matter between you and me, about the covenant relationship we made, the promise that we made to one another, that we are brothers and that I am here for you. That's in God's hands. He's saying, trust God as you wait on Him. And what I love is that David waits. He waits by the stone and Jonathan gets the facts and he gets the facts and he comes back and he fires the arrows. And as he fires those arrows, the message goes out. Let's read it. Let's just read it together. From verse 35, 1 Samuel 20. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him and he said to the boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, isn't the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, hurry, go quickly, don't stop. He's not talking to the boy. The boy picked up the arrow, returned to his master and the boy knew nothing about all this. Only Jonathan and David knew. Then Jonathan gave his weapon to the boy and said, go carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between me and you and between your descendants and my descendants. And David left and Jonathan went back to town. What I love about this is there's a few key takeaways of what happens when we wait. What happens when we lean into prayer? And the first thing that happens is that David gets clarity in his confusion. David gets some clarity in his confusion. When we learn to wait, when we learn to pause, when we learn to lean into Christ in prayer, when we learn to sit with God, we can come with a whole heap of confusion and not really understanding what we're gonna do, but that is the place where we're gonna get some clarity. Now, here's the interesting thing. It's clarity in confusion because he doesn't get the whole thing answered, does he? But he came to Jonathan looking to go, well, what's my next step? What do I gotta do next? Because I've been to Samuel and 
I got a word from Samuel, but now I've come here and I'm still confused. Should I come back? Do I need to go? What's going on? What is the, David probably wants, what's the next 30 years gonna look like? How the heck am I gonna end up king? But instead what he gets is just the very next step. The next step is you gotta go. You gotta go. You can't stay here any longer. It is time for you to leave and trust your steps to the Lord. There's a beautiful passage where it says, we make our plans, but the Lord orders our steps. Amen? And when we pray, that's when our steps begin to be ordered. We begin to learn just to take the next step and the next step and the next step and we trust that God, whose Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, will lead us according to His good promises. We actually get some clarity in our confusion. David's fear, anxiety, fatigue, doubt, all of these things get clarified with a single next step. And so he knows that from this moment on, all right, I need a sword and I need a strategy. I can't come back, can't go back to Ramah. I need a sword and I need a strategy. And so it sets him on the next course. The next thing which I find really interesting in the story of Jonathan and David is this amazing moment. Again, a story of waiting. Because if you flip forward a couple of chapters and you go to 1 Samuel 23, David is now no longer alone He's still vulnerable, but he's no longer alone. He's got some guys with him. Things have shifted a little bit and he's gone and he's, he's starting to build a little bit of an army around him. The strategy started to work. He got the next step, right? And so what happens in 1 Samuel 23 is that David saves a town called Kyla from invaders, from an army. And as he saves that town, he thinks, right, this would be a safe place for me to stay but instead they betray him. So he has to flee from Kyla to a place called Ziph. Everyone say Ziph. He's staying with the Ziphites. And he thinks maybe this is a safe place I can stay, but then word comes that they've got to betray him too, to Saul, who's hunting David still. And it's a fascinating moment in 1 Samuel chapter 23, where we actually see that David yet again is encouraged by Jonathan to wait. You see, in, in 1 Samuel 23, reading from verse 15, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh, and watch this, and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord and David remained at Horesh and Jonathan went home. So it's, a, it's time's gone on, but here's the crazy thing. Jonathan still knows where David is. So throughout this whole time of David being away, there's been communication between him and Jonathan. And there's a whole nother message in there, which I think I might even preach again a month from now from the same passage about David and Jonathan. 
But Jonathan knows where David is and he knows when David's vulnerable. And he comes to David in this place where David's been betrayed and it says he strengthens his hand in God. Here's what we have to understand. Yes, there are times when prayer is individual. There are times when we've got to get alone and just wait by the stone as hell 48 hours by ourselves. But there is also a time when prayer is communal. There is also a time where instead of me just waiting by myself, I actually need a brother or a sister to come along and get beside me and pray with me and lift up my hands and, and, and build my strength in God. And what you see here is exactly that, that as David is now waiting in Ziph, also anxious, stressed, worrying, what's going on? Why is this guy hunting me? What, how am I gonna escape this? And Jonathan comes and as they pray, as they wait on God, he is strengthened. You see, when we pray, we are strengthened again in our struggle. How many of us, when we pray, we pray that God would remove our struggle? Be honest. Two people. I don't know about you, I'm always praying that God would remove my problems. God, just take that from me, deal with that. I just wanna, I wanna be cruisy. But it's fascinating to me that God doesn't remove the struggle from David at all. In fact, keep reading. You get to this crazy point where David's on one side of a mountain and Saul's on the other. It's like something out of a movie. But he is strengthened. He is strengthened because that's what prayer does. It strengthens us in the struggle. Why? Here's a little thing that I just think is amazing. Because the Bible's so cool, right? We've got the history of what happened. But if you read the Psalms, you also get David's personal narrative of what's going on up here and in here at the same time as what's happening in history. And the fascinating thing about this passage in 1 Samuel 23 is that it's the exact same time where David wrote Psalm 54. You wanna go there? Let's go to Psalm 54. Because when you read Psalm 54, you literally get insight into David's world as he has been betrayed, as he's wrestling with the Ziphites. And if we, we have any songwriters here, how many of you heard that songs don't happen in five minutes? Sometimes they do, but often songs will take time. Songs will develop over a period of time. Poems, poetry, any sort of, Literary works, they take time. Art, it takes time. And often the, the piece of work will be moulded by whatever's going on in your world at that time. Read Psalm 54. David in being betrayed, when the Ziphites had gone to Saul and said, is not David hiding among us? That's his position. He's like, save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Arrogant foes are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. People without regard for God. He's anxious, yeah? He's stressed. There's a lot going on. He's freaking out. It's just like it was three chapters ago when he went to Jonathan 
Do you know what comes next? One word. Selah. You know what Selah means? Pause. Wait. Pray. Lean in. You know what happens after the pause? Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. (laughs) Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, for it is good. You have delivered me from all my troubles. He's still in the midst of them. He's now prophesying. And my eyes have looked in triumph upon my foes. I can't help but think that just maybe the sealer is Jonathan's arrival on the scene. That just maybe David's writing the beginning of Psalm 54 in this position because 1 Samuel 23 says that Jonathan came and strengthened David in God. Just like 1 Samuel 20, it's Jonathan who has, they, they spend time together and Jonathan comes and he reminds him of God's promises. He's like, no, 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 no. This is what God has said. Remember, you're anointed to be king. This is who you're gonna be. And I'm here with you. Don't remember, God will not forsake you. He is for you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. God is good and He's got you. And the whole tune of David's song changes. I reckon if we knew the music, he's gone from a minor key to a major key. You know, this is a key change moment. He's down here, he's melancholy, and he's like, and it's up there and he's like, oh, but the Lord is good. Surely God is my help. How many of you know that sometimes in life you need a brother or a sister to come alongside you and strengthen you in God? And that only happens in the waiting if we keep pushing on, if we keep trying to do it our way, if we keep saying, this is what I have to do and we never wait, we won't be strengthened because it's in the waiting that we are strengthened in our struggle because it changes our perspective. We get perspective in our problems. David's whole perspective shifts. It goes from, well, I'm stuffed. I'm in all sorts of bother to actually know I've got a promise and I know God's good on His Word. Friends, prayer shifts our perspective. Amen? Prayer will shift your perspective. It is so easy in life to be so caught up with the thing that's right in front of you, but what prayer does is it turns mountains into molehills. And the reason prayer turns mountains into molehills is it because it reminds you of how much bigger God is than the mountain in front of you. Prayer builds faith because it reminds us who God is and what He has promised. Faith shifts perspective. Faith is a shield that comes to us through a renewed perspective of God's faithfulness. 
when I am reminded of who God is and all that He has done before, I am strengthened in who God is and what He has promised to do again. Yes? I'm reminded of what He's done before and that He's gonna do it again. Is there anyone here right now who needs some strengthening in God? Who needs some encouragement? Who's got a mountain in front of them and sitting there thinking, focusing so much on the mountain, thinking, God, how the heck am I gonna get through this? And what we need is faith to rise up and faith will come from dwelling upon the grandeur of Christ and all that He has done. Faith is a gift of Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit will always draw us to Christ. Faith is not something that we conjure up. It's not something we've got to go into our own personal cupboard and go, now where's that shield of faith? If only I could find it. If only I could get it out. And No, 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 no. Faith comes from dwelling on who Christ is and what He's done. And as Christ is magnified and He's magnified in the pause, He's magnified from sitting with Him and saying, look at what Jesus has done. Look at who Jesus is. As we sit with Him, Faith will build. You cannot look at Christ and have faith dwindle. Faith will always rise as we wait by the stone Azel. Friends, this is my prayer for us in this season is that we would know how big our God is. That we would know how wonderful Jesus is. That we would lean in to our first love. That we would take one moment to pause, to let the noise Subside for a second to wait on the stone azel and let Christ be magnified in our lives. Would you stand to your feet across all locations, all gate, Lobethor, even if you're at home right now, stand to your feet. And we're going to pray. And then we're gonna enter into a time of communion here and I think Hallgate's going there too, but Nick will direct those steps. But this season, let it be a season of leaning in, of prayer, of all those beautiful quotes I read before, of paying attention, of looking towards heaven of raising one's mind and heart to God. Of forcing our busyness to find its victims elsewhere. Of choosing humility instead of pride. By demonstrating that inner revelation that He is God. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are more than our helper, but you are our deliverer. 
You are our saviour. You are doing a mighty work. Lord, we thank you that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You are greater. You are far exceedingly abundant, so much more than our human minds could ever truly wrap our heads around. But you love us. You've come that we might know you, that we might know the truth, and that in knowing the truth, we would truly be free. So I pray for every person here. I pray for this church, pray for our church as we lean into our first love. I pray strength. I pray perspective. And Lord, we pray clarity. Clarity of thought, clarity of mind. Order our steps, Lord, we pray. We know you have big things in store. We know that you have incredible things that you want to continue to doing, to, to continue to do. And so we just humbly submit ourselves before you, Lord Jesus. And we say, You are Lord, you are King, you are ruler of all. We worship you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Team, you can come up. Everyone else, we're gonna move into a time of communion. And thanks, Allgate and Loby. We love you guys. Um, God bless as you carry on with your service. But we're gonna move into a time of communion, a time of waiting on the stone as hell, waiting by the stone as hell, waiting on Christ. And there's no better way to do that than right here in communion. Taking the gift that Christ gave us where on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he said to us, he's like, guys, when you eat this bread from now on, this is my body broken for you. This is a, a reminder. This is a picture of all that I have done for you. My life broken that you might be free. And when you drink this cup, this is a picture of my blood that's been poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. That guilt and shame are gone. Free, gone completely, washed in the blood of Jesus. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our sins from us. And I was just reminded this week of that beautiful Psalm 23 where it says, my cup overflows. It's like going out for dinner with someone and when they pour you a glass of water, <laughs> juice, wine, whatever, if someone pours you just a tiny bit, it's like parents when your children are going to bed, you just give them a tiny bit because you'd wish they'd just go to bed not get up in the middle of the night and have to go to the toilet. But when someone pours to a cup overflowing, what's that a sign of? It's a sign that they want you to linger. You walk in and sit at someone's table and they're like, hey, look, 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 look. All the way to the top, you're like, oh, good. I'm settling in. Yeah? Isn't that an awesome picture? This is what Christ has done for us. 
He invites us to His table and He fills our cup, not just to full, but to overflowing, which means the cup never, ever runs dry, which means you are always welcome at all times, regardless of your own personal piety. You are welcome at His table because it's not about you, it's about Him and what He's done for you. You are welcome at His table. His cup overflows. So as we take the bread and as we take the cup, be reminded of His incredible, overwhelming, glorious love. And let that be the beginning of waiting on Him. Let that begin to foster something in your spirit and your heart as you wait upon Him. Let that build your faith. Let that begin to bring clarity. Let that shift perspective. Let that strengthen feeble arms and weak knees. For He is good and His mercies never fail. Amen. So we've got station, station, gluten-free station. We love to, if you're a visitor here, we love to go to the table. We go, it's an invitation. It's not enforced upon us, it's an invitation. So if you wanna go, there's a table at the back too, I think, Dave. Come to the table, drink and eat from the banquet of God. Be reminded of His goodness. And then we're gonna come back, we're gonna sing praises to our glorious God, like David did at the end of Psalm 54, knowing we've been strengthened in Him. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.